raise your hand if you are someone who really likes to understand what's going on in your life and in the world around you. All right, I'm seeing more come up. Yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking probably a lot of us. I know this is me. I'm totally, uh, I want to know what's going on. I want to know why it's happening. I want to know how the pieces fit. And I got to say, it's kind of fun. Now, as a dad, I see this coming in my five-year-old daughter. Can you believe Ruthie's five now, by the way? Um, she just, in, in August, she had her fifth birthday. It's just wild. And it's just fun um, when, we're, when we're going down the road and, uh, and we're looking at the things on the side of the road and she'll be talking about this and trying to understand why this. And she comes up with like a theory as to why that is what it is. She's just trying to put the pieces together of what is going on around her, what, what, you know, what is there in the world. And, and I know I do this a lot. I think a lot of us do it a lot. Um, but I, you know, I, for me, it's also been something I, I, from a very young age, I've been really wanting to put the pieces together about God. I remember back in growing up in Iowa, working really boring jobs like on the mink farm when I was by myself and stuff. What I did most of the day, besides try to ignore the terrible smell, was uh, just ponder a lot of life's things and ponder God and how does God work and what is He about and and and, and I found a lot of good came out of that. I, I learned a lot of things. Gained, I had a lot of perspective that I developed. But sometimes when we're trying to understand God and see how all the pieces fit. That's when sometimes we can run into some of our most difficult times or challenging times. Because there's, there's some things about God that we don't understand that aren't necessarily emotionally difficult for us. Like, for instance, I don't understand how the Trinity works. I, I, I teach it. I know what it is. I know that God is one, and yet at the same time, three distinct persons, three persons in one God. I can't wrap my head around that. I know it's true. I believe it. I know it matters for my life and I know ways it matters, but I just, I can't, I don't get how that works. It's beyond my understanding. That level of being beyond my understanding doesn't emotionally, it's not heavy for me. But there's other things that are beyond our understanding that, that are. You know, like when you're in a time when you're wondering, God, why is this person not with me anymore? Why did you take away this person that I love? Why do they have to die? I don't get it. What good is coming from this? Or when you're looking at your life, and you've ever done where you're like, you're like God, I, lead me in the right direction. Lead me where you want me to go. And then God seems to like drop every clear sign in there is in the world. Like, man, it just seems so clear. God wants me to do this. And so you do it. And then it falls apart. Ever been there? And then it's like, God, what are you, what's the deal? I prayed, I asked, you provided, and I went and it fell apart. I don't get it. Or maybe it's, Maybe it's when you're looking at your own life or the life of somebody else and there's incredible suffering happening or something terrible has happened to you or somebody you love. God, why would that happen? How does that fit? I don't see how anything good is coming from this. What's the deal? Or God, we're in the midst of several months now in to this global pandemic. And then to throw on top of it, there, instead of being a time where people are trying to unite and work together, there's friction between people, there's strong opinions on issues, there's social concerns, there's unrest. God, what is going on? I don't get it. And Pastor Crowley, I think, said something similar to this last week in his message where he's been asking, God, what are you, what are you doing in all this? 
Those are some challenging times and real questions that we have and real feelings that we have. God, I don't get it. And that's why it's so so important for us to discuss and lean into and wrestle with this question this morning. When will I finally get God? The lesson that's going to help us wrestle with this is Job chapter 42, verses 1 to 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now, the book of Job is an incredible, intriguing book uh, from the Old Testament. And in order, before we really dig into some of the details of it, it's good for us to take a step back and, and get a, a sense of the whole of where the book is going and what is all taking place. So to do that, we're going to watch the Bible Project's uh, video on the book of Job. If you were here last fall, last November, for the message called uh, Give Up on Your God, this video might be familiar because we, we use it there to review the book. But i got to tell you, Every time I go and I study Job, I rewatch this video because I just find it so helpful for helping me start off at looking at this whole book. So that's what we're going to do here this morning. There are three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. The first, Proverbs, showed us that God is wise and just. Yeah, we learned that God has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes, who observes, people don't always get what they deserve. Uh, Yeah, he said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this makes you wonder, okay, well, Is God wise and just? Exactly. And so it's that question that is being explored in the final book of wisdom, Job. All right, let's dive in. So Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan? Who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God. At least 
for chapters one and two. But then in chapter three, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals his devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so you must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering, and they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is. And he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. He shows Job how much detail there is in the world. Things that we might see every day, but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts and brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered, and yet he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. But that's not where the book ends, because after this, God restores to Job double everything he had lost. And this, again, is surprising. I mean, is this a reward? Is God saying, congratulations, Job, you passed this elaborate test? No, I mean, the whole book just made the point that Job losing everything was not a punishment, and so now getting it back isn't a reward. So why does he get it back? Well, apparently, God, in his wisdom, decided to give Job a gift. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Job is now the kind of person who, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust God's wisdom. And that's the book of Job and the end of our wisdom series. These biblical books of wisdom are amazing. Each one offers a unique perspective on the good life, and you need to hear all of them together 
as you learn to live with wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. It's a pretty amazing account. Um, and, but it's, it's not an account that just simply and easily answers life's difficult questions. And it's not meant to. God's Word is not, it's not a textbook where it's like, here's the answer A, B, C, or D. Often the answers are, are things for us to, to really chew on and wrestle with. They're complex. They're multi-layered and, and detailed. And there's a reason why. It's because life isn't simple like that. It's not just here's answer A, here's answer B most of the time. Uh, often they're, 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 there's complex questions and answers. And so the way God's Word is set up is that we have this, this, these writings, this literature, that it's really meditation literature where there are, are complex things for us to, to look at and to chew on and to review and then to read again and review a bit deeper and think about it a bit deeper. And, and Job is a great example of that. And so let's go back through some of the, the, the details of, of Job and really chew on what's going on here and, and wrestle with what's going on here. It all starts with that really interesting scene where you have God and the angelic beings, the spiritual beings, and it's basically like a heavenly staff meeting and, and the Satan, the accuser, the one who's opposed is there. And it's an interesting reminder, by the way, that even Satan can't do anything unless God allows him to do it. He doesn't have, he's not independent. He doesn't have his own authority. God has ultimate authority. And God there is talking about how great Job is. And the Satan is like, hey, you've got him wrong, God. If you take away all his stuff, then he's going to turn on you. So God allows the Satan to do that. And the amount of loss that Job suffers is, I don't know, for me, it's like unfathomable. I mean, 500 yoke of oxen. 500 donkeys. So in other words, Job was filthy rich. Okay? Loses 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels. This is big living in Job's day. Gone. Then his many servants, many of his servants are gone. The repeated theme is, is when, they come and t and when somebody comes and tells them what was lost was, everybody died except for me. I made it out so I could tell you. So the vast majority of them gone. But then to top it off, he has 10 kids, all dead, all in one day. Like, I just can't even imagine. But then we find Job, he actually still praises God. He still worships God in, in this. It's, it's just, it's amazing. So then the same goes back to God. It's like, God, well, you know, the, the thing is, the only reason why he didn't actually turn on you is because you didn't inflict him, him, his body. You inflict his body. That changes a person. And so God said, okay, inflict his body. He gets all these sores on his body. He's such a mess that his wife actually is like, Job, just curse God and die because you're just, this is just awful. And even at that point, Job still, he, he worships God. But then he gets to having these conversations with these friends of his. And these, this, at first they seem helpful, but then this is what really takes Job on this emotional roller coaster, this up and down. And it's a good reminder that when you're going through something, when you're going through some stuff, the people you surround yourself with have a big influence on how you go through whatever you're going through. It's important to be aware of who we are surrounding ourselves with when we go through stuff. The people that Job was surrounded by, they were somewhat helpful at first, but then 
They were like, okay, God's good. We don't see how God can be doing anything good for Job here, so therefore God must be punishing Job. This must be bad. Job, you must be guilty. And you get this back and forth. Job defends himself. At first he kind of defends God, but then he also starts to thinking, okay, it's true. Everything, it looks wrong. Everything here looks wrong. God must be wrong too. So he calls God to answer him. He says, Oh, that I had someone to hear me. I signed on my defense. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my accuser put his indictment in writing. And then God comes and he does. But then he answers him in that really surprising way. There's this back and forth where God, God shows all these things to Job. The video said like a virtual tour of the universe. What God does with each of these, he's, he's asking Job these questions. He's like, Job, were you there when I, when I made this? So in other words, do you know how this was made? Were you there? No. Do you know how this works over here? No. Job, do you understand this? No. Do you get how this works? No. In other words, Job can look around the world and see all over the place things that he does not understand and doesn't get. God gets it, but he doesn't. But just because he doesn't get it doesn't mean it doesn't work. It works. He just doesn't get how it works. And then God shows him these, these big creatures, these creatures that are way more powerful than Job. Job would be no match for these creatures, right? These things seem big and scary. But these creatures that seem big and scary are no match for God. And God, that he has them serve his purpose and his plan. They fit. They fit as part of God's plan. It might look wrong. They might look scary. But God is stronger and God has them fitting his plan and his purpose. Our lesson is the tail end of that conversation. And when we see Job's reflection at the end of this conversation, it's then that we get some help answering this question. When will I finally get God? See, in our lesson, Job replied to God, he said, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my counsel? And I, I stopped this partway through verse 3 just to highlight uh, here what the, what the initial topic is between what God, Job says and what God says. The word plan obviously is talking about God's plan. That's pretty clear. But the word counsel is also, it's a word that talks about, about advice or a way of formulating plans. The issue up front here is God's plan, his strategy for how to work things out according to his purpose. It's talking about God's planning, God's strategy for carrying out his good and right plan. And what Job says here, he says, no plan of yours, no strategy of yours can be thwarted or more literally cut off. So you think of like a branch growing in a certain direction. You think of God's plans going in a certain direction, how God is carrying out his good and right purpose. No one can cut it off. His plan will always come through. His purpose will always be fulfilled. It will always succeed. That means even when things look like a mess, when everything looks wrong, nothing has stopped what God's doing. Nothing has stopped God from doing what he promised he would do. And nothing has stopped God from carrying out his 
His will, His purpose, His promise, His good and righteous plan, nothing could stop that. No plan of God's can be thwarted. Even when everything seems wrong. No plan of God's can be thwarted. Who is it that obscures my counsel without knowledge? The word obscures, it literally means to cover or to conceal. To cover up God's plans, to cover up God's strategy. And when I was looking for that picture of, of, of covering it up, I was looking at first for like a picture where somebody's like throwing a cover over something. And everything that kept popping up was of, of somebody's hands over their eyes. And then I realized that's actually kind of fitting. Because the reality is, when we throw a cover on God's plans and what God's doing, we're not really, we don't really have the authority to, 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 to stop and to cover what God's doing. God's going to do what he's going to do. And God's going to show to who he wants to show what he's doing. God's going to carry out his plan that way. Who are we really blinding from it when we cover God's plans? Ourselves. When we look and we're like, man, there's nothing good that can be coming from this. This seems wrong. God must be wrong. We're really preventing ourselves from seeing the possibility of what's there. Or maybe the people around us, too, if we talk that way. And God says, who is it? Who are you? Who is it that does this? Who has the authority to cover up my plans? Do you have the authority to cover up my plans, Job? Who is it that covers up my plans without knowledge? Job goes on, he says, Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. The word understand, it's, it's an interesting picture in the original language. It, it literally means to separate mentally. So in other words, I, to, to pick apart, to, to understand all the parts, how they, they work together, which is why I put this picture here of the city up. Now, on the big screen, you might be able to see it a little bit better than I could on my computer screen when I was working on, on putting this together. But even on here, there's so much going on in this picture. Can you pick apart every little detail and what all is going on here? You, you can't. Maybe your eyes are better than mine, but I'm guessing you probably can't pick apart all the little pieces. It's hard to distinguish where all the buildings begin and stop and where there's a road and what else is going on there. I guess maybe it's a little bit crisper over here, but still you can't really pick apart all the little details. And, that, and that's the idea. Job says that, that I did not understand. I wasn't able to pick apart the details of, of, of where there is good and how this is working and what's all going on. So I didn't understand. I wasn't able to, to, to separate it, to pick it apart, to distinguish it. What actually was going on is I was speaking of things too wonderful for me. And the word wonderful, it, it talks about separating too, but it's a different kind of way. It's not like separating out or distinguishing, but more like this is separate from me. It's out there. I'm right here. So I'm speaking about things that are above me, that are beyond me, that are, that, are dis, that are separate from me. There's a space between. So maybe I think of, to keep the city analogy, the city picture a bit. You ever been like in a downtown of a city, big skyscrapers, and you look around, and how far can you see when you're on ground level? Not very. Like, I was in Chicago for a, for a leadership conference back in January, and I think my hotel was like two blocks from Lake Michigan. I don't really know. Like, I'm pretty sure it was. Um, but when you're at ground level, I, all I see is that block that I was on, right? Because the buildings are so tall. Like, I think it was over there. I'm pretty sure. 
And in that same sort of way, sometimes when we talk about what's going on in the world, we're, we're, we're in this limited kind of cubed spot where we can look up and, and, and we don't have the perspective to see what's next and what it all fits and what's all going on. And so when we, when we evaluate it, when we analyze it, when we critique it, we're critiquing from a position that is, that is really separate from the proper angle that you need to see it, the perspective. Job says, I wasn't able to distinguish it. I wasn't able to, to, to pick it apart. I spoke of things that I, I, I couldn't see that are too far from me, that I, they're above me. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, Pastor, how does this help me answer when, I will, when will I finally get God? Because at this point, Job is really just kind of restating, God, I, don't, I didn't get it. I didn't get what was going on here. I didn't get why this was happening. It might seem that way, but look at how Job continues his response. Job said, you said, listen now and I will speak and I will question you and you shall answer me. Then here it is in verse 5. This is a part that's amazing. It says, my eyes, excuse me, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So you think of like maybe you've heard about something before you've heard a story. Somebody told you about it. But it's different when you see it with your own two eyes, right? Like, I heard about this thing. I heard about this here, this, this thing that happens. But it wasn't until I saw it that I really got it. What is Job saying? Job is saying that, that through all of this, God, now I get you in a different way than I did before. I heard about you before. I, I knew who you were. I got you in some ways. But now in a new way, I get you, God. Through this whole process that started with God allowing the Satan to take, to take Job's life and just wreck it. I mean, all in, dismantle his life. It started with, with everything going absolutely wrong for Job. And then it continued as, as Job took and saw his life where everything looked wrong, where even God himself seemed wrong. And when Job took that before God and honestly talked to God about it, this process of God helping Job get him continued. And God encountered Job and said, Job, for all these things that seem wrong, where it doesn't seem like I can be carrying out a good and right plan, Job, look at all this stuff in this world that you see that you don't understand. Look at all this stuff that you don't get. Look at these things that are more powerful than you, but they're not more powerful than me. And look at all these things that even though they seem scary, they, even though they don't make sense, I still have authority over them. When Job saw this, we're told that he despised himself, or more literally rejected himself. In other words, he rejected his own way of understanding what had happened. He rejected his thought that God can't be doing anything good here. He rejected the limits, really, he had placed on God. You're looking around, God can't, this can't be God doing anything good for me. And in this world, Job rejected that. God did the beautiful thing of Job to Job of blowing Job's 
understanding and perspective out of the water. And Job got God. And I say, Pastor, that's kind of cheap. He didn't get the details of why it all happened. You're saying that in, he, he got that God is bigger than him and, and that, that God's ways are beyond our ways and stuff. But let me ask you, which is a better gift? Would it be better for Job to know exactly why all that suffering happened? Which, and actually, if you think about all the whys and all the complexities of life, how long would it have taken God to explain it to Job? And because here we are thousands of years later and we're talking about it, what have you had to tell Job about us? And every detail of how it works with us and, and how it helps us and fits with us. You know, just think about how long that answer could have been. It's kind of crazy. Was it a better gift? Would it have been a better gift for God to say, Job, here's exactly why that happened. So Job could get that thing. Or was it a better gift for Job to get the God who is all-powerful, all-good, and who always carries out his plan? Which was the better gift? Which leaves a person at peace? You know, because you can get an answer to a why for this situation, but that might have helped that situation. But in the next time something doesn't make sense, what do you need again? The why. And then when something else happens, what do you need again? The why. But when you get God, suddenly you don't need the why so much anymore. Maybe a way to think about it is kind of like, uh, well, when I was on vacation in Door County, we were camping at Peninsula State Park. And I've shared this now in Fort Agassiz and, and on a devotional drop. And I'm going to say it again now in case any of you are going this year. The raccoons are next level crazy this year. Okay? But just so you know, come prepared. Lock your coolers. I had a tote of food in the tunnel cover of the truck. They pulled it back, got into it. They are next level crazy. Okay? Here's your warning. Don't say I didn't tell you. All right. Here are some pictures I took. Um, one, the, the top one is from the sunrise from Nicolay Bay Beach. And then the, the bottom one is from Sven's Bluff. So Nicolay Bay Beach faces east as able to catch a sunrise. Sven's Bluff faces west and catch the sunset. And I was thinking about something while I was checking out the sunrise and sunset that day. And uh, I was thinking about how I think about things. I'm an overthinker. <laughs> And I don't know if you've ever done this, but what I tend to do sometimes is sometimes I will, I will overthink the joy out of something. Do you ever do that? You just think so much about all the details over it that instead of just like taking it in and having it impact you, you just, it just doesn't. And what I was realizing is, you know, I can know all the details about the sun and the sunrise and sun. I, I don't, but I, you know, you could. I could know how far the, you know, sun was from this earth and I could tell you all those stats but that wouldn't get that's not what getting a sunrise is it's different it's not something you can really put in words it's not something you really can quantify and it's something that actually when the world is a mess as it is when the world is crazy and everything seems wrong so often it's actually then that you almost get a sunrise better you know when the day's been crazy and the world is crazy and then God gives you a beautiful sky you get it and I, don't, I can't really explain to you how you get it. This is kind of an awkward position as a pastor. I'd like to be able to really thoroughly lay it out to you. But my prayer is that you, honor, that you will get how you get the sunrise and the sunset. And in the same sort of way, when God shows us 
that there are so many things in the world that, that we don't understand, but they work. And there's so many things in the world that can seem scary, but yet God has power and authority over them. And there's so many things that can seem wrong, and yet God is always carrying out things right. In that way, we can get God. That doesn't mean that we don't ever ask the questions, God, why does this happen? This doesn't make sense. Actually, Scripture seems to suggest that we should. I mean... The video talked about these books that they classified as the wisdom literature, you know, that books that are really encouraging us to wrestle with how life should work. How does it make sense? God encourages us to do so. He welcomes us to bring our honest questions and frustrations to Him. He already knows anyways. We might as well lay it before Him and wrestle with Him. He wants us to wrestle with Him. And then he wants to show us all these areas of war, of the world, of life, where we don't get it, so that we can get him. Ask the questions, wrestle with God, look at what he's done, but as we do so, take advantage of a special perk that you and I have that Job didn't have. Job knew a Savior was coming. Job made a beautiful uh, declaration that he knows that his Redeemer lives. The song, I know my Redeemer lives, it comes from Job. But he didn't have the advantage of all the details that you and I have. Because now we, we, we get to actually look back and see how God carried out the plan. And there is not a time in history where things were more wrong than here. Jesus is a completely innocent man who was killed. This is wrong. God Himself died. There's something wrong with this picture. Very wrong. But through this picture where everything looked wrong, this is how God set everything right. Because how do you deal with all the wrongs in the world? How do you deal with all the wrongs that you and I have ever committed? Where we've been... You know, angry at God, judging God, all the things we've said to other people. How do you deal with that? This is what God's way was. God said, my son Jesus is going to absorb all the wrong. All the justice, all the punishment, all the pain, all the wrong. So he could break the hold of it. So he could defeat it. And what Easter Sunday shows us, the resurrection that we celebrate every time we come together in worship, is the fact that where everything seemed wrong, God was able, He's so big and so powerful that through it, He could set everything right. Through that wrong thing, He could set everything right. And so now when we look at our world, even when things seem wrong, even when things seem so broken, we can look and see that all around us, even in a world where there's so much wrong, there's so many things that we don't get and we don't understand, but God does. And there's so many things that seem scary or wrong, but God still has authority over them, and God is able. Nothing can cut off His plan for working good and setting right. So let's look at God like we look at the sunrise. Let's look at God like we look at the sunset. Let's bring our questions before Him. Let's see where He turns us. Let's look at that cross. Let's look at that tomb. And let's finally get God.